They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. Behold, in the sky, it is the return of the greatest star child ever, Stargrave. This is the dawning of the... Oh, sorry. Superboy number 224, When Stargrave Strikes. Published February 1977. Written by Gary Bates with art by Mike Grail. Synopsis. Who is Pulsar Stargrave? Superboy 224. Oh, that face is very familiar. For some reason, Pulsar Stargrave. Mm -hmm. We We get a brilliant origin story from this guy. He was, mm-hmm. his ship was crippled. Mm-hmm. To save himself, he put himself in suspended animation. Mm-hmm. And then some dopey aliens that didn't know what was going on thought he was dead <laughs> and shot him into a sun that was going supernova at that exact instant. Chucked him into a champagne supernova in the sky. And then uh, months later, he reconstituted his body as Dr. Manhattan. No. I'm pretty sure that's the same origin story of Dr. Manhattan. Got caught in a nuclear explosion. He was in an intrinsic field generator. Thank you. They removed his intrinsic field. Also, this is a full 10 years before that. Right? Isn't that weird? uh, I think the the getting atomized by something and reforming yourself is a pretty common thing. I mean, that's Captain 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 Adam. Did he do that same thing? Yeah, one of him did. Um, there, there have been multiple Captain Adam origins. The ones that I remember both involve, uh, there was an explosion in space, and then there was one where he was fired into the quantum field and sent through time, space, and dimension. But I mean, even if you go back to like uh, the late 40s, you see a lot of guys who were born out of atomic explosions. You get your uh, Atom Man, your uh, but Atomic were they, were they disintegrated? your Captain Flash. Were they disintegrated and then had their bodies reconstituted with the power of the nuclear power of the sun? I don't know about the disintegrated part. I'd have to do some research on that, but I know that, you know. Sounds like an upcoming 10 things. A lot of people things. get caught. A lot sounds of like, people get caught in those nuclear explosions. Well, yeah, but everybody gets caught in a nuclear explosion at some point. Like you do, yeah. Yeah. It used to be you could go, why, why do you think the... Um, the Sands Hotel, when it was the Sands Hotel. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The Stardust Hotel in uh, Las Vegas. The reason why it's called the Stardust is in the way the shape of that sign was the mushroom cloud from the nuclear explosion because people would go outside during the nuclear tests there in Las Vegas and they would watch they would watch the, the nuclear tests. Yes, and watch the mushroom clouds come off. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. For those of you that didn't know the Stardust, why it was named the Stardust and had that weird kind of mushroom cloud uh, design, now you know. Rainbow Star. If, if you get us really going, I'll explain to you how the x-ray machines that use radium to show you your feet in the shoe store were slowly poisoning us all. Well, I mean, I never used one of those. You never x-rayed your feet to look no. at the bones in your feet? No. Oh, man. No, because that stuff it's was radiation, man. Well, yeah, but I mean, they I still have to make sure. Them. I have to make sure when I go to the dentist that they put three lead coats on me before I uh, before I let them zap me. 
That's are you sure it's not just three lead coats to get all the way around? Because I know I've done that. No, no, no. Three lead coats on top, just so that I'm fully protected from all the nuclear energy that they are shooting into my face. Well, that would not work for Pulsar Stargrave because he has the power of a living star, the embodiment of a blazing sun. This this dude under Mike Grell's uh, penmanship Mm -hmm. is like the epitome of disco 70s. Oh I my mean, this God. guy is hear, ready to like, rock you can hear out. Jesus Christ superstar playing in the background as he shows up. He's ready to rock out with all of his stuff out. Oh yeah. But he's got the bell bottoms. He's got this weird kind of William Tice top that looks like it might have once he's got been the tiara. some sort of tiara. Yeah. It's just and oh, then also beautiful. in case we haven't mentioned a Pulsar Stargrave has green skin. I wonder if that will will play any role in the upcoming story. Maybe his skin turned green because, like the Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner, who was also caught in a nuclear explosion, explosion. his skin turned green. No, he was green before. He was green when he put himself in suspended animation. A green man with really light blonde hair. Almost the exact same color hair that they give to... Huh. Yeah. So anyway, Stargrave shows up with his, uh, his two minions. Mm-hmm. Holder Melty. and, um, um, submissive girl. Yeah. Mel- Mel- Melty compound lady. And, uh, and, uh, what's beast man. What's, what's the guy's name <laughs> from, from he man, yeah. masters of the universe beast man. He looks, he looks like the Hucka from, from, uh, Atari forest to me. A little bit. Yeah. 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 It's like, whoa, Hucka Hucka. But his name is Holder. Because he goes out and he holds on to him while... Uh, Emphasis on the dirt. Yeah, he's, he's really not the smart one of the group. He is not the brightest bulb at the bottom of the barrel. But he has enough power to grab Superboy by the neck and hold him. Except, except at one point when basically Stargrave is like, you will do what I command you to do. We must join forces to take over the universe and only I can close up these fissures in space. And at one point, Superman is like, no, I have, or I'm sorry, Superboy has had enough. And he just flicks Holdor away with like the flick of his pinky. And he's ready to lay some smackdown on Stargrave, which does bring up, and I think we've talked about it. Maybe, I don't know if we've talked about it on this show before, but I know we've talked about it in other places. There's this idea that Superboy slash Superman is holding out, holding back, right? He's not using his full power because if he does... He will annihilate everything. Just, you know, a flick of the pinky or his his index finger and you will turn into a cloud of red mist. Almost like when Dr. Manhattan goes out and shoots people with his uh, with his radioactive beams from his fingers. This Um, crap, right? Yeah. So I think we get here one of those moments when Superboy is like, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And Mm -hmm. he just unleashes and he is ready to go full Superboy against Stargrave and his minions. And I think there are very few instances where we see that. Obviously, Superman does that with uh, with Darkseid a lot, especially in Superman, the uh, animated series, which I think was the best depiction of, of Superman. Just like, you know, I, I'm afraid I'm just going to rip everything apart like it's wet cardboard. But against you, I don't yeah. have to hold back. Yeah, the world of cardboard trope is definitely something that Shooter especially, but you see it a lot with uh, Marty Pasco mm-hmm. and Carrie Bates in the 70s, where Superman, um, especially after his depowering, uh, when they cut his power in half, Superman is still feeling like he's holding back. He's restraining himself. He's controlling himself. 
And when he does cut loose, like in this issue, it's meant to be holy moly moment. This one really works for me, I think, because of the angry grill body language. Yeah, yeah. Because he's, I mean, he's giving a, a full-on Kubert slasher smile. Well, not a smile, but the the downward look, the horrible face, you know, that uh, Ben Shapiro face staring as he walks towards Stargrave. And literally Stargrave just blasts him away. Yeah, with one of his psionic uh, weapons that he has embedded in his head. Hmm. Where have I heard one of those before? Hmm. Weird. I don't know. I mean, green skin and blonde hair and something, something brain. I mean, it's tickling something, but I'm not sure. So, who are, all, so who are all the superheroes in this adventure? We've already mentioned Superboy. We got mm-hmm. Sunboy. We've mm-hmm. got uh, Princess Projectra. Yep. We've got Karate Lightning, Kid. Uh, Karate Kid, Lightning Lad. Saturn Girl. Saturn Girl. Chameleon Boy. Chameleon Boy. Brainiac 5. <gasps> Brainiac 5. Hey, he's green. And he has blonde hair, too. Wait a minute. You don't think that he secretly speeds uh, Brother Rex, do you? <laughs> they definitely built it up. And, you know, uh, spoilers, the last page is like, I will work for you, father. father. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> We will rule the galaxy as father and son. Trust so a couple of things. Pearl. We have already surpassed. Well, we haven't hit Empire Strikes Back, but we have hit uh, the uh, the Star Wars is already out by now. And uh, well, actually, it's a couple more months away, but I'm sure the the uh, the, the hype is building about the Star Wars uh, by the time that this issue arrives. And so yeah. I really like this dynamic of. Uh, I am an, he, and, but again, Stargrave doesn't come across as, as an evil despot here. He doesn't come across as a menace that wants to destroy the galaxy. In fact, when he first uh, comes sliding in on his uh, sil- silver surfboard, he, there's these uh, antimatter fissures that are opening up in the skies above a planetoid. And he comes in with his superpowers and he closes those fissures, something that uh, I believe Superboy says n- all of us together would not have been able to do what he did. He's probably yep. not a bad guy. And then, of course, he encases them all in a force field and says, you will work with me or else. And here are my two evil minions, Evil Lynn and Beastman. And um, then he then he laughs maniacally until Superboy busts out with his Superboy powers. Right now, the fissures that he's closing are the same fissures that we saw blowing up the universe last time around when the time trapper and the legion fought Mm -hmm. but the legionnaires here are not the same group that we had last issue because shadow lass is just gone and brainiac who was not part of the group last issue is part of the group this issue so clearly some time has to have passed But then you also have, you know, the reveal at the end of this issue kind of requires Brainiac to be here. Yeah, I think, was there not a part where they got zapped back to the Legion headquarters at the end of last issue, or did they... They were flying back to somewhere, and Superboy was reading Quirrell's book. Right, on time travel and paradoxes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, how to handle these situations. So, some time has passed, but this issue just kind of opens in media res with, uh, by the way, a completely nonsensical panel. Just unbelievable. The, the, this is. I'm going to read for you now the first caption box. Are you ready? Above remote planetoid P8801, the sky is shattered. A long and iridescently crazed plane, an antimatter universal threatens to breach the barriers of time and space and touch our own continuum. Now that that is like pure word salad. But it's also kind of indicative of Jim Shooter 
going all out and just throwing everything at the wall. I mean, the real shame about this issue is what an interesting setup it is for, and again, spoilers, something that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so this is really interesting because this is Jim Shooter's final issue with the Legion. Um, because yes. I guess he got so fed up with what was going on in, in DC editorial that he's like, you know what, I can go do whatever I want over uh, by joining the Marvel editorial team. So see ya, suckers. Yeah, at, at that point in time, I believe the editor-in-chief was Marv Wolfman. Uh-huh. And uh, in the in the... It would have been the winter of the previous year that this book came out. Marv is like, hey, why don't you come and join our editorial team? And Shooter's like, yeah, great. I'm irritated with Murray Boltonoff. I'm irritated with Julie Schwartz. I'm not feeling like I'm working under these editorial. And the irony is not only is this the last issue for Shooter, it's the last issue for Grell. Uh, Grell sticks around and does covers for the next few issues of Superboy and the Legion. But this is Grell's last on interiors. And it's the first issue of Denny O'Neill taking over as the new editor. Murray Boltonoff's last issue of Legion was last issue. Mm-hmm. So Shooter is on his way out because he didn't like to work with an editor who is now gone. Yeah. Uh, Denny O'Neill just passed away recently for those of you who um, are not following along. Of course, it's been about a month or so by the time you're listening to this episode. Uh, but Denny O'Neill did, did pass away uh, just recently for us. And so yes. I, when you think about Denny O'Neill and you think about the huge impact that he had in comics uh, yes. with everything that he either wrote or was in charge of editorial-wise or you know helped shape, uh, he's, a, he's a big, big loss uh, for everybody. Absolutely. And even if you look at just specifically Legion, mm-hmm. Denny had input on the Legion. Denny had input on Richard Dragon, which led to input on Karate Kid. And I mean, there literally isn't a major comics property that doesn't have some Denny O'Neill in it. And, you know, it's kind of a shame. It's always a shame when you lose somebody. But it's kind of a shame when people are like, yeah, I remember his Batman. And I'm like, and also the remainder of his 60 plus year career in the comics. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's more than Batman, but I mean, he's remembered a lot yeah. for Batman. Oh, absolutely. His Batman, his Green Lantern, Green Arrow run is what I yes. remember first. Uh-huh. But even then, you know, you know, knowing that Denny is the editor on this issue and knowing that Shooter had something planned, it, it's one of those issues where we're like, man, this is a what might have been moment. Yeah, this is really crazy and interesting because this does end on a cliffhanger where Brainiac 5 basically tries to convince the other members of his team that, look, we have to do what Stargrave says. There's no getting around it. And then Stargrave appears and says, I want to hear it from you, my son. And he goes, yes, my father, I will join you. And together we shall rule the galaxy. And then then it says to be continued. And the continued, uh, this is another one of those moments where I feel like I have to spoiler it, is a good three issues in the future. Oh, is it that far in the future? I was curious because I noticed that the uh, Superboy uh, 225 Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with Stargrave. So I just assumed that. 225 and 226, I think, have very little or no Stargrave. The Stargrave resolution doesn't come around until 227. Now, is that a... I mean, is that a shooter issue? I mean, is this something that he had already pinned, but they were just like, okay, we'll pay you for this two-parter and then you're out the door, but they just drug their heels until fans said, hey, what's going on with the whole Brainiac and his evil dad story? 
No, actually. The story gets wrapped up by Jerry Conway in 227. Ah, okay. Uh, the interesting part is, uh, in the Legion Companion, they asked Shooter about it, and Shooter says, and this is a quote, we had a great plan. I don't remember what it was, <laughs> but I remember Roger Stern loved it. I ran it past Roger Stern, told him what I had in mind, and he thought it was brilliant. So hmm. whatever he was building to, he and Grell, just, I mean, is to the point where of course, you know, 30 years down the line, he didn't remember. And yeah, 15 years after that, it's one of those moments where, my gosh, what could they have been doing with the appearance of, you know, essentially Brainiac 4, for lack of a better word? Um, there's also something there. Pay attention. If you know where this is going, you know why that's funny. But yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those issues that this... If you look at things like, you know, later on down the line, we get the Great Darkness Saga. Mm -hmm. We get the Earth War. We get big, giant, spanning, cosmic, issue-spanning, big messes. This could have been the first one, but it kind of fell apart because we had the, you know, the the prelude issue. This is like the first part. This feels like the first part of a multi-part story. Right. And I, and I can't, and, you know, from, from what we have seen now, we've got a different uh, book coming up here in just a moment. But from what we have seen, most of the Legion stories have been done in ones or maybe two parters. But we never see anything that goes three, four and six issues, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of what Marvel is doing right now. Is they're starting to expand and having stories that may have a bit of a conclusion to them uh, in the single issue. But there's an overarching storyline that is carrying through uh, multiple issues for those people who are the diehard fans. And it seems like right now, at least with Superboy, at least with, well, maybe not so much with Karate Kid, but maybe DC is a little bit resistant to do multi-issue arcs. DC really, I, I, I would say resistant might be the way to look at it. Because if you look at 70s Marvel, everything at 70s Marvel is really working under the 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 Lee Ditko or lee kirby model you know the first 104 issues of fantastic four are not one continuous story necessarily mm -hmm. but you'll see plot points carry from issue to issue as a back burner plot and then come to the forefront yeah you'll see you know peter parker's love life floating around and then boom come to the forefront it's one of those things that i think stan lee didn't invent but stan re stan lee really you know codified and put in stone how this works and it became the model of marvel and dc is absorbing it a little bit you'll see it you know especially in books like superman or ongoing titles or weirdly world's finest comics mm -hmm. you would see that carrying on of the plot point from issue to issue you know for a while the super sons had their ongoing story in every other issue of world's finest but dc is less so dc is still very much a a focused on one single issue that that done in one or even if it's part of a storyline like this issue you pick it up in media res you go through you get to the end it has a cliffhanger but it's not a cliffhanger that you're going to be like oh my gosh you know next issue won't make any sense if you haven't read this one well i mean actually i think the way that this issue ends it makes you want to go okay let's read part two yep. right now where they basically pick up from yeah. right after this and maybe that this is dc's you know maybe this is somebody in dc maybe it's uh bolton off or um uh, julie schwartz that are sitting there going see see we can't do these multi-part stories because these kids keep quitting on us 
<laughs> and so maybe that's that's you know this may be one of the reasons why we don't see a resolution to this story for multiple issues. Now, granted, in order to get to this, well, in order to get to this point, we had to go back. Was it last issue uh, where we got to the introduction of Stargrave uh, briefly? But then when we look at Karate Kid, which we're going to be looking at in a moment, that one had multiple issues ago uh, in in the Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes where Nemesis Kid escapes and it doesn't we don't get a payoff until much, much later. So yep. it's it's really weird. And it's I don't. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I like done in ones. They're super yes. casual. They make for fun reads. You don't have to be a diehard reader to know every little nuance that's going on. And yes, and if in five issues from uh, from now, you're reading your done in one and they're making a reference to uh, some small romantic moment that that uh, Shrinking Violet and Colossal Boy had uh, five issues ago, you can go, oh, I, I didn't read that, but okay, I can, I can kind of follow along with what's going on. Not a big deal. It's not detracting from this story. Right. A problem does occur when, and this is going monthly right now, Superboy is back to monthly. Yes. So at this point, in order to tell a six part story, I have to be buying comics every single month for six months in order to get it. And that's kind of my problem with ongoings today is that in order to get this complete arc, number one, you have to remember to order it. Number two, you have to remember to go pick it up. Number three, you have to remember to read it. Uh, And in the 1970s, especially as DC starts to do the DC explosion and then the DC implosion and the way that. Uh, comics are being distributed in the seventies. There's not a, there's not a good, I mean, there's a better than likely chance that Superboy two, two, five may not find its way to your local grocery store. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is difficult. And seventies distribution was such that you could literally have two stores on opposite sides of town, as I did, where you'd go to one and you could get all the Marvel books and you go to the other and it would be all of the DC. Oh, you, you say as a kid, when we were in college, there was the Gulliver's used books where we got, which was our main comic book store. Right. But that then was if a you, direct market store. Yeah. yeah. And then if you remember across the street and down a little bit by the home, there was that other used bookstore ran, ran by that elderly mm-hmm. gentleman. And he yes. had a bunch of comics too, and they were ones that you couldn't get at the direct store. So you had like uh, The Fly and uh, I forget who who else was there. But he had a bunch of comics that you couldn't get at the other store. Yep. And that's the thing. I mean, that was, oh gosh, probably into the late 80s. That was the model of things as, mm-hmm. as things started well, it, finally getting away from being available at a newsstand or a spinner rack or a grocery mm-hmm. store. And this is also what was happening too as these small distributors starting to fall one by one and diamond coming in and, and becoming a monopoly and overtaking the comics industry with one point of purchase, one point of distribution, which a lot of people say, Hey, that's great. It makes my job as a comic shop owner, super, super easy. But on the other hand, it's a monopoly and you really don't have control over everything. So for those of you who are listening in the future or who are listening far into the future at this point in time, DC comics has also said that they have broken away from diamond as their distributor and are now working with multiple distributors to get their books out. Some people like me think that this is a great idea, even though every technically it's still a monopoly. Um, but, uh, but we are maybe seeing a return to distribution going in a, in a very hopefully competitive way in the future where, um, where you're not dealing with one company 
telling you how you're going to get your comics, when you're going to get your comics, and how much you're going to have to pay for your comics uh, as far as the comic shop owner goes. So that's kind of my little rant on single issue, multiple multiple story arcs, and distribution as well. So yep. uh, this story is interesting. I found it yes. very engaging, and I was really going, oh, man, Matthew really pulled a boner because... We should have had 225 as the second issue in here so we could get the second part. And I look at 225, I was like, this doesn't even have the second part. And then I yep. was reading, oh, this is where Shooter left. This is where Grell left. Maybe yep. this is one of those dangling stories that is never heard from again. Although, to be fair, uh, today, when someone is fired from DC or let go from DC, providing mm -hmm. the, the comic is not an ongoing or a limited run... That writer is just disappears. There was a writer recently uh, who was doing some shenanigans or uh, called out uh, for his uh, bad practices and, and bad uh, uh, dealings with women. And DC just said, we're not going to release this book that he's we've signed him to do this one shot. On the other right. hand, Dan DiDio's Metal Men was allowed to continue and end its limited series run. Uh, yep. So there's different ways that we deal with this. But this right here was kind of a shock to me because it's just like, oh, man, um, what we're never going to find out what happened to Brainiac's father. Uh, is he just going to disappear and never heard from again? Uh, kind of like he did 11 years ago in this story when he walked out on his family and said, uh, I got to go buy a pack of cosmic cigarettes. And they never heard from him again. <laughs> Come back for issue 81. And we'll tell you then. <laughs> Anything else on this issue, Matthew? Um, I really enjoy Grell's layouts on this issue. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've, I've been mocking Grell a little bit for his, you know, his, uh, proportions and occasionally the things, the decisions that he makes as far as the way characters are on the page, but that full page shot of Stargrave just punching Kal-El into the atmosphere is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The, that first shot where we see quicksand attack. And Lightning Lad sinking into the stone and quicksand is just like, hello. Yeah. That is beautiful. And I feel that the real winner for me, the biggest amazing point on this issue is it's like page 15 or 16. Uh, Brainiac 5 is standing and watching the Legion talk or the Legion attack rather, Stargrave. And the middle of the page, the panel is this kind of weird rhombusy shape. Yes, yes, I like that one too. And at the end of the rhombus is this little thing that looks yeah, like, like a cap an editor's on a box. Yeah, it's like a little editor's yeah. box that says, you know. But it's the editor's box is actually just a continuation uh -huh. of the Oh, it's so yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I do like a lot of the layouts that he's done. And I can't remember remember when we were talking about ejecting out of the roof of the uh, clubhouse and um I was amazed and really enjoyed those layouts and how they were yes. using those layouts again and again. I can't remember if that was Mike Grill or not. But uh, there are some very interesting layouts that are going on in here. And I know that people want to look at post-crisis comics and 90s comics to the point where people say, oh, yes, look at how artists are starting to break away from the nine panel grid or the six panel grid and do some very interesting things. I think I think artists have always done very interesting layouts when it's appropriate. Yeah. And I mean, there the thing about the grid is that it was never a hard and fast rule. Yeah, you know, the only thing that I can think of that absolutely insisted on the grid was Watchmen, and that was kind of a retro exercise. But if you even if you go back into the golden age, you'll see weird panel shapes and artistic crazy decisions, and people will decide to do 
really crazy stuff. If you look at Jim Mooney's work on like Dial H for Hero, the layouts are just wild. Well, heck, just and look in the just look in the newspaper at uh, the Family Circus. It's a it's a comic panel inside of a circle. <laughs> Shut up. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Karate Kid number one, My World Begins in Yesterday. Published March-April 1976. Written by Paul Levitz with art by Rick Estrada. Synopsis. A desperate mission to the past may mean the end of a Legionnaire. We are not going to continue with the Legion of Superheroes per se, because now everybody's favorite character in the world, Karate Kid, is getting his own ongoing series from DC Comics. Everybody's favorite Karate Kid gets his own series. Technically, he got his own series about a year earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. But all of the chronologies, and I actually, in order to do the the Legion Clubhouse, a little you know behind the scenes, I actually have three different chronologies that I do look at and see which makes the most sense. But all of the Legion chronologies say that Karate Kid's book cannot have started where it did when it appeared in our universe. So right. this is where two of the three chronologies I've looked at agreed that Karate Kid number one must fall in the you know in the shadow of superboy and the legion 224 so karate kid is, number one actually came out in march of 76 whereas the previous issue in this episode came out in february well, they of 77 make, but. they make reference to the nemesis kid escaping like superboy was at 208 mm-hmm. and so it's like why not just have that come out after 208 the breakdown of karate kids appearances doesn't make sense if you say Karate Kid was trapped in the past as 208. Part of that is because Karate Kid has been key to the shooter issues of the Legion, Mm. the the last three or four of them. And part of it is the fact that even if Nemesis Kid, you know, left in 208, he clearly spent some time running around before he stole a, a time bubble and ran back to the year 1976. Yeah, which also, I guess that's one of the things that makes this a little bit of a head scratcher because nowhere in in the Legion series that we've read has mm-hmm. Karate Kid said, oh, that nemesis kid, I'm going back in time to stop him. See you guys. And I'm yep. going off on my secret mission. Nowhere does that happen. So when this issue opens... He's already smack dab in the middle of, I'm guessing, New York City, mm-hmm. having a fight with Nemesis Kid, and they're recounting how Nemesis Kid stole the DNA uh, that we've talked about before from the weird hanging filing cabinets, and right. uh, is going to take down uh, Karate Kid once and for all, and Karate Kid is, no, you can't do this, and they get into a massive fight, and just when you think Karate Kid is going to win, here come the rest of the Legion members to screw up the mission, at which point Nemesis Kid escapes with a time bubble, and uh, Karate Kid is like, no way am I going back with you. I need to find Nemesis Kid. And they're like, okay, fine. Uh, well, I guess we'll fight each other for a little bit and show who has the biggest wiener and who can punch the hardest because that's how m- men resolve their differences, apparently, in 1976. Well, there's a couple of things about this Karate Kid issue, aside from the 
toxic masculinity aspect, which is pretty gross. I mean, Karate Kid literally throws a punch at Monel just because he's irritated. And it's really combative. He's really angry. He's, you know, yelling at Brainiac and calling him a heartless computer and snapping at people. And he kicks Lightning Lad right in the face. You would think that someone whose hands are literally deadly weapons, blah, 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 all of the karate in the universe, would have a little bit more control and restraint. But that said, this is. I don't know. I've seen Cobra Kai. Oh, stop And it. those guys, those guys, guys, those guys those don't have any control, especially That's when they the get point. angry. They're willing to sweep the leg Johnny. And so I think Karate Kid here back, is ready to sweep the, sweep the leg and, and kick uh, Lightning Lad in the face. Because after all, who doesn't want to kick Lightning Lad in the face? Well, and that is a good point. But this issue is important narratively because this Karate Kid that we see here mm-hmm. is actually the Karate Kid that we're going to be seeing for a while, because this is technically, for all intents and purposes, the first Legion work of Paul Levitz, right. who will be taking over the Legion's main title in an issue or two. Um, and at, if at you this... actually look at one of Levitz's primary stories a few years down the line is the war with the Legion of Supervillains, where Karate Kid and Nemesis Kid finally have it out. They have their final battle, and at the end, one of them is dead. So, mm. I mean... This is this is the new be. Karate Kid we're seeing. Yeah. So, at, at what point is is Levitz just a writer at this point, or is he on editorial, or what is his what is his position at DC at this time? In 1976, Levitz, I believe, is an assistant editor and a writer. Okay. Uh, but he is he's certainly not like one of the high muckety mucks that he would eventually be. I think by the time Legion Volume Seven runs around, he was a major vice president in charge of everything. And was still allowed to write Legion. Okay. All right. Now, uh, the artist in this uh, series, Rick Estrada, uh, does have some background because he was doing Kung Fu Fighter uh, prior to coming on to Karate Kid. And he had, you know, studied all the martial arts. So he's just like Karate Kid who studied all the martial arts. He has studied all the martial arts and is able to art it up in the pages of this book. And even better, Rick Estrada does all this, uh, balancing it with his time starring on Chips. That's what I was going to say, but that's Eric Estrada, NBC everybody. Network, yeah. Yeah, so different different Estrada, but uh, there are some really good fight sequences in here. Uh, he mm-hmm. understands that you don't have to get up close and uh, show the, you know, the punch in the face. You can do some stuff that's in a super wide shot so you can see their positions uh, that also kind of sometimes look, and I'm not saying that he did this, but sometimes look like the outlines that you saw at the karate dojos of the time period. Uh, mm-hmm. just in silhouette, but he's, he's fleshed them out. Uh, so, uh, that, that's what we have going on in this series. A lot of karate action going on. So anyway, karate kid is going to stay in, I'm guessing 1976, our present 76, 77. Yeah. Yeah. The nebulous present time. Right. And he is going to do whatever he can to track down nemesis kid, who for some reason has left behind a little time tracker device so that, mm-hmm. Uh, cause he's stolen a uh, karate kid's time bubble. And so right. karate kid is going to use this little time tracker to track him down, which I guess if you're a villain, that would be a dumb thing to do. I would never say, ha, Matthew, try and find me now with this specially tuned toning, tuning fork that will only start vibrating with when you are within five miles of my presence. He's trying to lead him into an ambush. He's leading him into a trap. And um, honestly, throughout this issue, Karate Kid is kind of a bag of hammers. And he doesn't seem to realize that he's being led into a trap. 
Well, I mean, the, he, the dude throws away his flight ring because it malfunctions slightly. That's ridiculous. You do not throw away a piece of future technology because you're irritated with it. Does that you broke it on Monel's face? Does that ever have repercussions? Like somebody finds this technology from the far future and start using it. I mean, does this ring ever fall into the hands of Lex Luthor? No, but you uh, remember that would be how a great Booster thing. Gold has a flight ring? Yes. That's not this one. Yeah, I didn't figure. No, that one actually, I believe, was Brainiac 5s. But to my knowledge, Karate Kid losing his flight ring, or in this case, actually being an idiot and throwing away his flight ring, doesn't ever come back around. No. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's just one of those moments where it's just treated as a ring made of metal and, you know, meh. Yeah. So anyway, he takes a bus, which is crowded for this time period. These people are also smell very badly. You know, maybe right they should the use bus, some right shower to shower, sprinkle a day, keeps the odors away. Um, but then he sees, then he sees this dude walking down the street with a giant bazooka thing in his arm. <laughs> this dude who looks like, I swear, he looks like a Joe Staten uh, kind of a caricature of a 30s gangster. But over his shoulder, he's got this enormous Star Trek frap gun. Yeah, even with Second Amendment rights advocates walking around with open carry, I'm pretty sure a gun with this obvious future technology origin, should have ca- cops uh, scrambling. Yep. Oh, 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 wait, this this is a white guy. Never, never mind. Oh. No. Yeah, so he's got this big gun. <laughs> and I think, once again, that uh, the guy with the, the giant frap gun, who, uh-huh. oof, oof. Uh, the giant with the giant frap gun is part of a trap. It's a trap. Oh, it's I a trap, you. Karate Kid. Don't go in there, Ralph Macchio. But he totally does. He first of all, he kicks this guy's face. Yes. And then he throws him over. Yes. And again, you actually see some some actual karate technique mm-hmm. in Val's stuff, which mm-hmm. yeah. is interesting. You know, uh, Grell tries to do interesting kicks and throws and things, but it feels like Estrada is actually trying to do legitimate martial arts maneuvers, which I yeah, think is kind of. Cool. And that's why I said from his his work with the kung fu fighter stuff. Uh, yep. that, that he's bringing to this and a- actually adding to this. And so and then, then of course, when, when karate kid breaks into future tech. Yeah. So let's because, talk about future tech. Uh, he oh finds God. out that this gun is coming from future tech. And so therefore he surmises, ah, this is nemesis kid. And this is his business. I should have known all along. It's not obvious at all, except now here's the weird thing. If you go out and do a search for future tech, there's actually a future tech company that's out there in the world right now. And they're doing some interesting things, I want to say. This is what they're doing. Let me, let me just read a little bit off their, their webpage. You can go and do the search. Um, our company, About Future Tech. Uh, education, aerospace, healthcare, defense, manufacturing. Future Tech is an award-winning IT solution provider that supports leading companies in the aerospace, defense, education, energy, government, healthcare, manufacturing, and retail sectors. It doesn't sound ominous and all-encompassing at all. Certainly not. That certainly doesn't sound like Skynet is going to come flying out there with us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, Karate Kid kicks down their door, and then he starts a Tower of Terror climb to the top. And that's right where, at this point, I had to stop with the issue and really scratch my head a lot because it's like, huh, he meets all of these guys on the first floor and then he's crawling up an elevator that has like lasers everywhere and then he cracks open a a wall and it's a secret floor. And I'm like, 
this sounds like that first arc, or I believe the first arc of the Iron Fist story that we reviewed years ago. I, I want to say it's uh, Iron Fist uh, 1 through 15, somewhere in there, where he's going after his nemesis and he's crawling up. Remember, he's crawling up inside that building and like every floor is a death trap. This feels I think just they're like both that. references. I think they're both references to Bruce Lee's last film, The Game of Death. It could be, but it seems kind of weak if that is the case. I was going to say it might be referencing Die Hard. I forget what year that book came out, but it was definitely set in 76 mm-hmm. uh, because it was set during the Bicentennial. Uh, so that I don't know if any of this stuff has any kind of any kind of play on this, but I just found it very interesting and amusing that this felt very much like the iron fist story that came out in 75. Mm-hmm. And this one came out in 76 and they're both basically the same. I think they are definitely references to the same thing because remember 1973, four, five and six, basically in the mid seventies, the Kung Fu craze is massive. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this before, uh, ever yeah. since, ever since basically, uh, 72 through about 79 or a little bit into the eighties, especially it, certainly there was a resurgence once karate kid, the movie yes. arrived. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's the whole Kung Fu craze was just uh, off the charts and we've referenced in previous episodes. And I was really surprised because we do have the ads in this issue, Um, There were no martial arts ads to be found in this issue, which I found very surprising. This is one of those moments where the ad team should have been making those phone calls uh, to the Dante should be teaching you the secrets of Wang Chung. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that was really missing in here. Uh, But yes, uh, we had just off the air uh, a year before was Kung Fu with David Carradine. It ran from 72 to 75. I don't know when reruns and syndication start on that show. I know I didn't see it until late seventies, early eighties on channel 41 in Kansas city. Yeah. I think it, well, the syndicated stations started syndicating it in the late seventies. Okay. But whether or not you had access to that, but I mean, uh, 73, the golden harvest film. So 73 would be enter the dragon Mm -hmm. 76, I think would be what 76 would be a bunch of stuff, but you know, Bruce Lee was almost as big as Fonzie at this point in time. And I think that a fight between Bruce Lee and Fonzie would actually be kind of cool. Um, just, you know, my 70s brain talking. But yeah, Well, we're also starting, and we've talked about this before, we're starting to see a huge influx of Asian cinema into the United States, especially on the coast. Not so much in middle America, unless you're getting that on uh, VHS, which again, not at this time, not in 75, 76. You wouldn't be getting too many VHS unless you were really, really rich. Uh, you might have some stuff on three-quarter beta uh, or something like that. Uh, but uh, it wouldn't be for a few years later before um, basically everyone has access to Asian cinema outside of, you know, Kung Fu Week on your local, you know, late-night TV show or right. the TV show Kung Fu. But the actual cinema, things that influenced Quentin Tarantino, uh, those things are arriving in the U.S., on the coasts, West coast and East coast. Yep. Uh, and then of course, Marvel's picking up on all that stuff. We got the, uh, yep. all the, all the iron fist, uh, you've got, the uh, Kung Fu, Deadly you've got, hands of Kung Fu, you got, got Richard dragon, Kung Fu. Richard yeah, dragon is a DC book. Yeah, but yeah. You've got all that stuff going on right now. Yeah. It's just all over the place. And this is right about the time where the first wave of Kung Fu movies and television shows is starting to wane. 
So, of course, it's the point where comic books is really going to lean well, hard. It does, it does take some time, right? I mean, it, by right. the time somebody comes up with an idea, pitches it, goes to a meeting and pitches it, and then the editorial approves on it, that could be six months. I mean, that sounds just like something I don't want to be a part of, of that slow gravy train, if, if that's how long it takes to, uh, yeah. to, to pay off. Uh, but, you know, it does, it does take time for people to get into that or to buy into the idea. And we have talked before that certain editors at DC at this time might have been anti-non-white um, uh, and also because of editorial sales. Uh, it, it, sales coming in and saying, hey, if you try to ship something that has a black hero in it or you try to have something that features an Asian uh, character as a lead, we won't be able to sell this. So you guys might want to dial that back, even though you're trying to be super progressive, even though Denny O'Neill is about to do this with uh, the, uh, the, um, the heroes on the road, uh, Green Lantern and uh, Green Arrow. Um, you know, these are things that are still in 1970s America still a thing that people are buying into. But I think with the craze of uh, karate that is going on, I think it was easier to take this risk than to say, hey, let's give Tyrock his own series. Right. And yeah. That's not to say that this issue isn't full of bad things. At one point, Karate Kid is called a half-breed. At one yes. point, uh, what's what's another? There's a couple of other slurs that that slip in to this issue that make you go, "Ooh, this is totally not politically correct uh, for this <laughs> for this time or at all." Uh, and certainly, reading uh, today makes you a little little irate. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of these moments that are just kind of like quietly, "Ooh." Did, oh, well, even the, the first group of, of bad guys that he fights in the building are basically mm-hmm. your stereotypical Asian bad guys that yeah, you see a list in of, every of movie. Cliches from yeah. various movies and just oh yeah, and you know it's a it's a Karate Kid story, and the thing about a Karate Kid story is you are going to you know run into these these expectations, I guess that you're going to be using tropes of specifically the Kung Fu movies, but what are considered by 76 standards to be Eastern tropes. And then you have that moment where he's like kicking and kicking and kicking. And then they're like the true champion of combat, Valar Moore, the karate kid. Even with the moments that are kind of triumphant, you also have the moments where he accidentally lasers off the tip of his foot. (laughs) Cause he doesn't do the flip perfectly timed. And so the lasers in the elevator cut off the tip of his, uh, of his yeah. uh, ninja sh- ninja boots. Yeah, so I mean that's not necessarily troublesome in an out of date characterization kind of way, but it is still well, it's actually it's actually super helpful because later when he's kicked out of the window, he uses his super toenail <laughs> to dig into the side of the building so he doesn't plummet to his death. He hooks his toes and flips himself Ouch. back that just, into the building. That just sounds amazingly incredibly painful. It does, and it looks like it would hurt. Yeah, also uh, guys, if your toenails are that long that you can dig in and use them as a uh, as a way to climb up a building, probably might want to go see uh, you know the the hair and nail people the uh, yeah, to to get those trimmed back. A podiatrist will also take care of that as well, or your doctor, or you could just yeah. get a pair of heavy duty clippers and do it yourself. Well, he learned it by watching you know Timberwolf, I guess. But yeah, all in all. I will say one important thing about this issue, and this is probably going to sound harsher than I mean it, but the best part of this issue was the hostess ad 
because it's a Twinkie. It's not a Twinkies ad. It's actually it's a, a Cupcakes yeah. ad featuring Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. an interesting one. It's one that we have seen before. It's one that I've actually posted, I believe, on the Legion Clubhouse Twitter feed in the past. So you can go mm-hmm. dig around and, and find that one. It is, it is pretty interesting. Uh, at the very end of this issue, uh, Karate Kid does capture Nemesis uh, Kid, puts him in the time bubble and writes a note and says, I must find myself. I am going to stay here in the past where I will find myself and I will wander the country as Kung Fu. And then he just, it's really weird because it's like he hasn't even been in the present long enough to even see what the Kung Fu TV series is. So why is he going to wander the country like, like David Carradine? It is a very seventies thing to do. And also incredibly irresponsible. I mean, seriously, he threw a piece of future technology down an elevator shaft essentially. And now he's hanging around in the past, taking no, you know, no precautions against any type of calamity, any type of strange, you know, what do you call those things when things happen in time? Them time vortexes? Yeah. You know, he's not following the Legion's own rules of time travel. And I'm almost sure that we're going to run into, in fact, I know because I've read the issues, but it's one of those things where there's going to be all sorts of time problems. There are going to be glitches. There are going to be broken bits of times. And there's actually just, mm, oh, and honestly, in an issue where somebody says, this guy looks like a foreigner, that's the thing that sticks in my craw the worst. <laughs> Karate Kid going, eh, maybe this is where I belong. Back in a time when people actually <laughs> did things like stand in line for gas and watch Beverly Hillbillies reruns. And throw racial slurs at my type. Oof. Yeah. Ugh. Not, not good. Not good. But we'll see what happens going forward. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what did we learn this time? We learned that if you really want to put your 70s ensemble together, you need a turtleneck. I think we also learned that even though your children will eventually hate you, at some point, if you turn evil, they will join your side. And most importantly, we learned Pulsar Stargrave. Thank you so much for being part of the Legion Clubhouse. Make sure you put on your rings and hold them up high and chant the uh, the Legion Creed, whatever that may be. And uh, thank you, everybody. Hey, we're near. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We certainly appreciate everything you do. Like I mentioned earlier, you can follow us, Legion Clubhouse, on Twitter or at Major Spoilers or at Mighty King Cobra or drop us an email at podcastmajorspoilers.com. You'll hear Jason say all that stuff here again in just a moment. So until next time, I'm Kung Fu Fighting Guy. And I'm Quasar Cheese Plate. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.